as our team talked about what would make this Advent sermon series meaningful, it was clear that this is a story that's been told so often that often we go on autopilot. So we look for ways to keep it fresh. The choir sings a different version of the Magnificat of Mary, and then we show a poem that none of us have heard that offer different insight into Mary's life. We want to make Advent each week come to life. We picked a theme word for the whole Advent series and discussed that as well. Somebody suggested rejoice, to which the response by one of the younger staff members was, you know, it sounds pretty old-fashioned to me. Not wanting to give away any names, the person who had suggested rejoice, I said, maybe... Maybe it's not that the word is old-fashioned, it's that we've lost its meaning. And I I talked about William Willimon, the, the dean of the chapel at Duke, who says, we need to teach people who come into churches a new language instead of giving it away. We need to talk about sin and salvation and sanctification and repentance, but teach people what those words mean so they come back to life. Otherwise, you're just going blah, 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 blah. He said, but for heaven's sake, don't lose the words. You are teaching people the dialect of heaven. So we stayed with rejoice. But it's important that we understand what it means. That we understand what joy is that Mary supposedly experienced. Dallas Willard reminds us, joy is not pleasure. Joy is not pleasure, but a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Hope in the goodness of God is joy's indispensable support. So as we talk about joy this Advent, we started with Elizabeth and Zechariah last week, and today we want to look at the life of Mary. Protestants are often reluctant. Would you hand me that book, honey? Protestants are often reluctant to talk about Mary. You know, somehow we'll get Catholic cooties or something. I grew up as a Catholic, and I know better. Scott McKnight wrote a great book called *The Real Mary*, and he said Protestants ought to study Mary because Protestants believe in the Bible, and Mary is in the Bible, so we ought to study about her life. He said, Mary points to Jesus. And as Mary learns about Jesus, we can learn too. And one more reason that I'd add to what McKnight mentioned. We ought to hear Mary's story because the voices of women are not heard as often. And and we ought to hear the voices of what women say about the goodness of God. Now, I laugh about Protestants being reluctant to explore Mary, and yet it's as close as my family. My wife is a recovering Baptist, and, uh, and she has had that same experience with Mary. And yet, because it's in the Bible, Laura has learned all about Mary's story. And I, I thought it would be good for us, as we talk about joy and Advent, to hear from somebody who has done that journey with us. And so I've asked Laura if she'd share with you what God is teaching her about joy and Mary. More than 
any other holiday, it seems like Christmas is a time when things are intensified. It's a time of more of everything. There's more laughter, more tears, more stress, more short tempers. It's a time of higher highs and lower lows. We have a friend that's expecting their first baby in the next few weeks. High, high. But we also have a friend who is struggling with pancreatic cancer, a really low, low. Some of you are experiencing a joyous Christmas because you have a job this year when you didn't last year. Or there will be someone sitting at your table this year that wasn't last year. But for many of you, I know the opposite is true. It's a time of intense low because of hard circumstances. And maybe you have a table where someone will be missing for the first time this year. What if you had a joy gauge on your soul? What would it register this morning? Would it register full, medium, empty, somewhere in between? And how much would that joy gauge be dependent on the circumstances in your life this morning? We have a car issue in our family because I am very competitive and I want to drive our car until it is lower than low on the tank, on the the gauge on our car. John doesn't like that so much. When it comes to joy, God does not want us to be driving on empty. Jesus said, I came so that your joy might be full. So we want to ask, how can we have joy that is full, even in the midst of difficult circumstances? The account of Jesus' birth is absolutely my favorite. It's a time of stars and mystery and holiness and mess and God come down to earth. And and I love it. But it is also a very familiar story. And so, as John said, even though as we're reading the words, they may be familiar to you, I hope that you will listen with fresh ears. And specifically this morning, we want to listen to the ways that Mary responds and how that brings joy Uh, into her life. So we're going to start with Luke 1 in verse 26, and you can follow along on the screen. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Then she continues in this conversation with the angel and finishes saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Again, you may be familiar, but we want to do a quick sketch of Mary. Here's a picture of how we often see Mary depicted. Kind of like a middle-aged, serene mother wearing clothes that would be fit for royalty back then. But this is probably a more accurate picture of what she might have looked like, even though I think she's a little too clean even in this picture. So, just a few things about Mary. She was young, maybe as young as 12 years old. If any of you have 12-year-old daughters or grandchildren, can you imagine this happening to them? 
maybe as young as 12. She was poor. Nazareth was a tiny town of about 100 people uh, made up of farmers and shepherds. Third, she was female, obviously much less valued and respected than a male. So that's three strikes against her right off the bat. Next, she was engaged. That means in this culture, it was a legally binding contract like marriage, but she and Joseph were not living together, so they had not had sex. And Joseph could divorce her. According to the Torah, the appropriate response for someone in this condition would be that she would be stoned. So that could have happened to her. Next, she was visited by an angel. Not your everyday after-school experience. She could have been labeled crazy by everyone around her. She was pregnant, but a virgin. Seemingly impossible. Lots of gossip in this small town. And not only was she pregnant, but supposedly she was pregnant with the Messiah, which would bring danger. If this child was to be the Messiah, there would be danger from other kings. And as it happened, there was one such king named Herod, who was quite threatened by this. Easy for some angel to show up and say, hey, Mary, this is going to happen and you're going to be blessed and then hightail it back to heaven. But it was not going to be easy for Mary. Bottom line, if she lived today, she would not be updating her Facebook profile with Pictures of her expanding waistline. Not going to happen. Now, some of you today are in pretty hard circumstances. Clearly, Mary was too. Seemingly impossible. Devastating. And maybe you're feeling that way too. Think about some of the insurmountable circumstances in your life right now. Where do you feel out of control? How might Mary have responded? And how might you Maybe you could scream, uh, yell, rant, write angry emails. Um, you could swear. You could drink margaritas. You could hurt somebody. Maybe you have done any of those things. We want to look at the ways that Mary responded that enabled her to have joy even when she was in the midst of these impossible, seemingly impossible circumstances. First of all, she remembered who she was. She was favored, beloved, a servant. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. All generations will call me blessed. This was the key to Jesus' life, too. You remember when he was baptized and God said, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus depended on this acceptance by God because he would face massive human rejection. The other night, I was at a dinner for a friend celebrating her birthday and an anniversary of sorts. And each of us gathered there brought a word or words to share with her that would describe the value that she had brought to our lives. Some of those words were cherished and beautiful and effervescent and more. Now, not all of us have the privilege of hearing words like that said to us by friends. But God always wants to whisper his words of love into our lives. We need to hear who we are in order to find joy. God says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are chosen. We are God's workmanship. We are accepted. We are forgiven. We're beloved. Joy starts with hearing who you are as God's beloved child, and then listening to that voice until it becomes second nature. So you hear that you are a beloved 
child of God that is not a mistake, that nothing can take that away, and you feel joy filled until Thursday morning. And then Thursday morning, something else comes up. You needed to be reminded of what made you joyful. Mary receives the gift of ongoing joy when she leans into God's provisions for her. God doesn't just send an angel, say it once. God kept giving her the recognition of joy. And his provision was in Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. Then Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted her cousin Elizabeth, old woman, pregnant out of time. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she, blessed are you, Mary, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. God gave Mary Elizabeth as a source of joy, a mentor, an encourager, somebody to just sit with her and say, no, no. You're not crazy. Or at least we're crazy the same way. You're not crazy. Laura loves the fact that the story says that uh, Mary went with Elizabeth for the first three months of her pregnancy so that she would know that there was someone who understood when she started uh, to gain weight. Somehow pregnant women seem to be upset by these silly little things like morning sickness or fatigue or hormones or crazy moods or eating, it may have been that God actually sent her away to save Joseph. Who knows? (laughs) But God put some of himself into Elizabeth and gave Mary joy. Probably 22, 23 years ago, Laura and I were new to this working together in leadership, and we were uh, going through a tough time, nothing hugely wrong, but we were just tired of it and wondered if we had made a mistake coming here, had read God wrong. It was uh, shortly before Christmas, and uh, we were trying to get our kids who were this big and this big to obey before dinner, and the doorbell rings, and we went to the door, and uh, two of our friends were there, Bill and Joey. Bill actually was an elder in the church, And they had this big basket, and they walked inside. They said, we're just going to stay for a second. And they pulled out a half a dozen kids' videos. The kids jumped all over those videos, ran to the TV, started to shove them in. They were set for the evening. Bill and Joey just walked the basket into our kitchen and started leaving. We said, oh, no, 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 stay, 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 just for a minute, just for a minute. Well, that minute turned into an hour, hour and a half, and we eat. They had filled the basket with all these gourmet foods that a young couple never got to eat. And we just kept pulling them out and eating them and having a great time, laughing together and telling stories. They didn't lecture us. They didn't pray for us. They loved us. 
and made us feel like we were God's children. And 22 years later, I am still basking in that enough to tell you the story. Who's put, who has God put into your life to remind you that God is faithful and that God keeps his promises? The other side of that is there's somebody that you need to be Elizabeth for, somebody that you need to encourage who is doubting what's happening in their life. God in you can become God with someone else. Mary knew that she was beloved and was reminded of it by the community that God gave her. Lastly, I think maybe most importantly, Mary experienced joy because she remembered who God was. I believe there are two different ways that we can approach life. We can interpret kind of the stuff of life. Bottom up or top down. If we do have a bottom-up mentality, we start with the circumstances in our life and we project onto God. If our life is good, then God must be good. If our life is bad, then God must be bad. If we have a top-down mentality, we start with faith in the character of God. God is good and sovereign and loving. And so even though we may not see the end of the story, even though we may not understand, we trust that God will cause all things together to be for good and we are safe in his hands. That doesn't mean that we're not honest with him, but we trust in the end, God is with us and God is good. And this was Mary's interpretation. She had a top-down faith. This next section that we're going to read is called the Magnificat because the Latin word, from the Latin word, it says magnifies, my soul magnifies the Lord. Everybody magnifies something. It's just part of being human. If we magnify something, we give it an extraordinarily large place in our lives. Your mind wanders to it when you're not thinking about anything else. Your desires are shaped around it. Your identity gets tied to it. Your joys and sorrows are all wrapped up on whether you you are getting more of it or less of it. We all magnify something. An alcoholic magnifies the bottle. A workaholic magnifies success. Some of us magnify money. Some of us magnify sex or approval or security. We all magnify something. And Mary magnified the Lord. Now again, this next section is familiar, so I would encourage you to listen for how Mary responds and what you see of God in this. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. For me, this is the crux of Christmas. 
God with us. God come down to be with us in the mess and the muck and to walk with us and to die for us so that we can be with him forever and he can be with us forever. God is personal and he is crazy about us. And Mary really knows this God. This is a really big deal. All the scripture that she quotes in this section, she was a girl. She wouldn't have been able to study this. She was most absolutely illiterate. And the scriptures that she is quoting would have been written on scrolls and maybe kept at the synagogue. But she could listen in on the fringes. She could hear. And many scholars think that she had memorized all of the Psalms. Her mind is immersed in this. Mary really gets it when the angel says, God is with you. It's not like the angel saying, Joe Schmo is with you. Or even Barack Obama or Mother Teresa is with you. Mary knew what we need to learn too. That joy isn't dependent on what's happening to us, but who is with us in it. Emmanuel, God with us. So how are we going to rejoice in this season in a way that isn't all fakey like, praise the Lord, my dog died. One person who exemplified this for John and me was my grandmother, who we just admired more than anyone. Uh, she was an amazing woman of faith, and she did everything around the church. But she learned as she grew older that she was going to be going completely blind. And she didn't, you know, just brush over this. She acknowledged that it was going to be hard, but she also served a God that was bigger than her circumstances. She, like Mary, trusted him. And she said, you know... I'm, I'm going blind, and that's really hard, but I have a really nice phone voice. Maybe I could call the people who have visited the church and welcome them. Joyful people don't deny the dark. They just never stop looking for God's light everywhere in everything. So joy, know, joy comes when we know that we're beloved, and we accept God's provision of companions and we remember the character of the God who is with us. One of the things that we talked about as we were preparing this series was the fact that during this season, it can be so hectic and there can be so much noise and so many voices in our lives that we wanted to provide some space for you to reflect and some time for you to, to just think about God. This next section, as we close, I hope will be a gift to you. I'm going to ask my friends from Student Ministries to come up here and stand in the front. And one of them will be speaking the thoughts that maybe many of you have had as you've come into the sanctuary this morning. And the other will be speaking God's word from scripture. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and open your hands and just listen in silence God speaks into your story. I don't think anybody understands what's going on in my life. Does God even care? Haven't you known? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all of those who take refuge in him. I'm afraid. Afraid that I'll mess up again or disappoint others. Where are you, God? Don't be afraid. 
for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will never leave or forsake you. Sometimes it feels like nothing's ever going to change, and I'll be left all alone. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Nothing in all of creation, not life or death, angels or demons, no power on earth or in heaven or in hell, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Remind us of that, Lord Jesus. Amen.